Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk about the surprise firing of Barry Trotz, a man who knows that team very well, Butch Goring from St. Boniface. Played for the Islanders for a number of years, now an MSG analyst for the team. He'll talk about that with us. And also, we're going to talk to Dave Campbell of 630 Chat about the ongoing labor issues with the CFL and CFLPA. It's all coming up on the podcast. I want to talk more now about the Barry Trotz firing because that was a, a big news bomb this morning. And it of course could have ramifications here in Winnipeg. If the Jets can talk him into being the next coach of the Jets, I know a lot of Jets fans are itching to get their hands on a coach like that, dreaming that he gets the job here, that he's offered the job here. And so let's turn to a man now who knows all about playing on Long Island all about Islanders hockey, and that is Butch Goring, who played there for a number of years, the product of St. Boniface, who now works as an analyst for the Islanders on MSG. And uh, Butch, thanks for doing this tonight. When you heard about the news this morning that Trotz was fired, how surprised were you? A shocker, actually. Not a surprise, a shocker. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, it was Usually with some, some of these things, you get a little whisperings going on here and there, and um, but there was none of that. And so it's, uh, it's a bit of a shocker because we've, uh, you know, um, us on the Island have witnessed what Barry Trotz and, uh, has done over the, uh, this four year period. And obviously, uh, from our, from my perspective, it, it's been great. Yes. This year was, uh, was a disappointment, but, uh, there are plenty of reasons in place, whether you want to accept them as excuses or not. Uh, there was plenty of things going on in, with this organization. And, uh, so, uh, I'm certainly very sympathetic with the uh, with the season that the Islanders ended up having. Yeah, for those uh, unfamiliar with all that went on this season, because they went to the Final Four in back-to-back years, w- the, was the 13-game road trip to start the season kind of just a sign that this season wasn't going to go well? I'm not sure you could lay it there. I mean, because they did get out of the gate pretty good, uh, and then they lost, I think, the last three games of the road trip. So, uh, I'm not sure that that's viable. Um, you know, it was it, you know, could it have been better where you'd had six and six and stuff like that or whatever the case may be, but I'm not sure at the end of the day that that was the downfall. I, I think more than anything else, um, the COVID really hammered the Islanders. I mean, they, uh, they, they opened their, uh, the, the brand new arena, the UBS. And I think they were, they went on an eight game losing streak. I mean, they never won at home and, and they played with, half a hockey team and no disrespect to AHLers. Um, that's a tough thing to ask for uh, anybody to, to kind of compete with. And so I think that, in my opinion, probably was the start of uh, what was to come for the, for the Islanders, uh, a team that plays exceptionally well at home, um, you know, for them to get basically almost no points at all. They went through November. I think they played, I think they were two and 10 and they had a lot of games at home. So I, I, I think that played as, as big a factor uh, as anything. And, and then the other thing to look at is that they had a couple of uh, breaks in the season for, for different reasons, for COVID and for rescheduling. And uh, every time they seemed to get it on track where they'd play two games or three in a, in a short period of time, they'd have 10 days off or a week off. And so they never were, I think, really able to find their rhythm until really late on in the season. Now, playing in a new arena, going from the Coliseum, do you think it, it took some of the home ice advantage away trying to figure out how to play in a new building? 
No, not at all. I, I, you know, I, I listen, you know, all the billings are relatively the same. Yes, there are a couple of different nuances, a couple of different bounces. As we used to say, the Zamboni entrance, if you knew that building uh, in the Coliseum, that could be an advantage for you. But I, I think when, you know, when you're battling as they did, as I mentioned earlier on, with, you know, with 10 veterans out of the lineup at different time, I mean, uh, it was tough to ice a team, in my opinion, that was really competitive. So they're, they're chasing the game all the time. And, and I think that in itself is as big a factor as anything else. Because I think once you get the game going, there's just not enough uh, differences in the arena. You go back to the original six. Yeah, that that's that's a whole different game. I mean, you go into the Montreal Forum, the Maple Leaf Garden, or the Boston Garden. I mean, those are in the Chicago Stadium. Those are very distinct buildings. And um, teams back in the '60s and the '70s built their hockey teams around the size of the rink and the style of the rink. So, uh, but that's not the same thing anymore. I mean, they're all pretty much 200 feet, and the normal ones at 75 uh, feet wide. So, I I can't honestly say, in my opinion, that that was a factor. Okay, so now Barry Trotz is a coach that I think a lot of teams would be interested in hiring. What do you? Uh, how would you characterize the style of play the Islanders played under him, and and would other teams be interested in adopting that style? Well, he plays winning hockey first and foremost. I mean, as you as you mentioned, I mean, um, he took a, a first a team that he first took over and said, well, first thing we have to do is change the goals against, and they went from thirty first to first in one year, and that is. An unbelievable accomplishment. So he got everybody to buy into to the style of play that was necessary, which is defense first, which we all know if you can't play in your own zone, you can't win a championship. You may get to the playoffs scoring 300 goals, but at the end of the day, playoffs is a different ball game, and you've got to be able to keep that puck out of the net. So I mean, Barry Trotz, the first thing he did with that organization, it changed, changed its perspective on how to play the game. And then the next two years, uh, the results speak for themselves. They went to the conference final only to lose to the original, to the um, Stanley Cup champions, uh, the, the Lightning. So um, his style of play is, uh, and, and I think he said a succinctly to me one day, he said, because I, I, I asked him about Ovechkin, who did not check very well before Barry Trotz got there. And his answer to that was, listen, when you have the puck, you can do whatever you want to have, whatever you want to do. When you don't have the puck, then you got to play my style of hockey, which is think about defense, you know, get back and, and do the right things in your own zone. So I think that more than anything else will tell you, uh, you know, what Barry Trotz is all about. What would you, if you could find a, a hole or a flaw in the, the way the Islanders played, what would you say it was? I, I don't know if there's a hole and a flaw to play. I mean, are they, you know, I think everybody talks about the same thing is that, you know, they, they didn't score enough goals and, um, you know, certainly Brock Nelson had a, a tremendous year. If he doesn't get hurt, he probably scores 40 goals. And then uh, yeah, Anders Lee came on pretty strong. But I think still the general feeling for the Islanders is they need a sniper. They're not easy to find. They don't grow on trees. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I you know, they don't, they don't have, they, you know, they didn't have a lot of holes. You look at how they finished their last 25 games and, and the, uh, the teams they played and the number of games. I mean, I think they played something like, I want to say 36, 37 games in, in 60 days. I mean, that's just, you know, incredibly difficult task to play that many games in a short period of time and trying to, trying to make ground, which is near an impossible task. So um, the Islanders certainly did a lot of good things in the second half of the season that says, Hey, as little Amarillo said, you know, uh, we, we'd like to maybe make a couple of hockey trades, 
um, you know, that's what we'll be looking to do uh, because the organization certainly doesn't feel like they're very far away. Which makes it all the more surprising that Trot's got the axe, but this is kind of a Lou Lamorello thing. If you look back to the New Jersey days, there are a number of times where he let coaches go earlier than most people thought he would. Well, hockey's, uh, you know, is a, it can be a cruel sport. There's no two ways about it. And, and uh, you know, uh, on the surface, you, you could easily say it. this is, you know, as I am very, very surprised, but there are a lot of things that go on behind the scene that you don't know about. And, uh, and you got to honor the, uh, you know, the ability and and, and Lou Amarillo's success over the over the years, and and he's sitting there day to day, and and uh, so those us those of us that are on the outside, we don't have all the answers. We don't uh, all we can do, and, and I've been through it. You know, there's sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for firing coaches. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's just part of the game. A lot of people here in Winnipeg are thinking about, hey, maybe Barry Trotz can come coach the Jets. Jets need a new coach. They need to play better defense. He's from Dauphin, Manitoba. What do you think of that kind of fit? Well, if, if uh, the Winnipeg Jets, Kevin Shovelday, and, and Mark Chipman, uh, you know, decide that uh, this is the guy they want, uh, I will fully endorse him. <laughs> I can just tell you that because I watched him for the last four years and, and, uh, he, first and foremost, he's a, an incredibly good person, a great individual, cares about people, not just hockey players. He cares about the family. He cares about the fans. He's just an incredibly good guy. So, you know, number one, uh, that's a good start in any in any direction any organization wants to go. And and he's had success. He's won a Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of coaches that have done that. And when you look at his longevity, um, you know, what is he second most in all time wins behind, I think, Scotty Bowman? And that speaks volumes to me that this guy obviously uh, knows what he's doing and, uh, you know, with his tremendous success. So, all of those things for me are, are positive. Like I said, I've watched him for the last four years and, and um, he did an awesome job with the Islanders. Before I let you go, I'll get a thought from you on the Stanley Cup playoffs. You're in Dallas right now, Stars and Flames, game number four. Anything surprise you about this series so far? It's like the only series where there aren't, isn't a ton of goals. Well, no, that doesn't surprise me because uh, the way these two teams are playing, they're 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 not given a lot of real estate up. It's been uh, it's been very physical. It's uh, been a hectic pace. Uh, both teams are really committed to playing solid defensive hockey. So you got to kind of scrap and and scrape for for every uh, inch of the ice. And and uh, the goaltenders have played well. I mean. Sometimes when you see low-scoring games, you look to the forwards or the offense, and you go, "Well, geez, what's wrong with them?" Well, you know what? There's a goalie in there that's uh, uh, trying to stop the puck, and both goaltenders have played very, very well. So I, I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, the only surprise I, I've had really is that how good a hockey it's been. It's been a real hectic pace. Uh, of course, that was my first game the other night. So um, tremendous hockey, and we're really enjoying it. And as both coaches will tell you, it's playoff hockey. It's uh, the way it should be played. Uh, prediction for tonight or no? <laughs> no, I'm. You know what? I'm doing the broadcast, and I, uh, you know, if if the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Islanders are playing, I, I'd be only too happy to say one of those teams is going to win. But in lieu of that, uh, I'll just stay and enjoy the game and and do the best I can on the broadcast. Well, I appreciate your time tonight, Butch. Thanks for this. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot. No problem. Let us turn our attention now to the CFL. Because right now there's no CBA and things are looking 
a little contentious right now. So let's talk about the league we love so much with Dave Campbell calls Elks Games with our friend Morley Scott on 630 Chet in Edmonton. Dave, welcome to the show tonight. Christian, it's always nice to be here. Thank you for having me again. So as a longtime consumer and lover of the CFL and someone who has seen a, a number of issues with negotiations in the past, how worried are you that this could be a disruptive CBA negotiation? Yeah, I think, you know, I tweeted out yesterday that, um, you know, I think that they're going to get a deal done, but it's just, it's going to be some severe turbulence until we actually get to, to a deal. Uh, you know, the players are, you know, they say they're unified. Uh, you know, I was on the conference call last uh, Friday with the uh, president of the, of the CFLPA, Solomon Melamimian, and the executive director, Brian Ramsey. And, you know, they, they do sound like they are united. They do sound like they are um, wanting the same things. Hard to hard to have everyone rowing in the same direction. I, I get it. But, you know, from, from the executive point of view, I mean, their message is clear is we're tired of, you know, having – the first of all, the process of negotiations being uh, very uh, few and far between as far as bargaining sessions go, and then when you get into the room, and, and it's not like it's not like they haven't agreed on a lot of stuff. They actually have, but when we come to issues like the ratio and you know getting rid of the Canadian ratio, and we talk about the salary cap not moving in ten years, and please sign this ten-year agreement, or you know, or else. Uh, you know, and and it, it's that kind of thing, the process and the timing that really irks the PA from the executive board and and on, and on down as well. So, are we going to see a work stoppage? That's tricky because every province is different. You know, you can't just walk out unified in one in one fell swoop here. If you were locked out, then that'd be a different story, right? But here in Alberta, I mean, we our law is basically it's fourteen days that you have to issue strike notice. And then I think there's a 72 hour cooling off period. We're talking Christian that that's like getting towards the end of the, the of training camp when you can, when you can uh, be able to strike in this province. And I think by then Christian, they're going to have a deal. So, you, you know, it's, it's a very uneven sort of, uh, you know, uh, every province is different. And, and, you know, the directive from the PA for, for the players is delay your departure time, uh, as late as possible towards May 14th, which is reporting day. So we'll see. Uh, it sounds like rookie camps are going to go on as scheduled on Wednesday. And uh, we'll go from there. And Wednesday also is the next scheduled bargaining session. So we'll see. I mean, it's time to lock him in a room and, and get a deal done. But it's also time for, you know, the partnership to become real. And, you know, Randy Ambrosi gets a lot of heat here. Um, but, the problems go well beyond Randy and Rosie, but the messaging I think gets lost and it kind of, it's, it's hollow when, well, we're unified and, you know, we want to build a great partnership with our players. Well, clearly that's not happening, you know, deep within the, in the room, there's still, uh, from the CFL perspective, there's still too much strong arming and saying, you know, here, take your leave. It kind of thing is what are you going to do? Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but you know, again, it's not like they're not totally off the rails here as far as what they've, they've agreed to. But when it comes to several you know, or a couple key issues, uh, they seem very far apart right now. 
Well, we saw Thursday the the memo came out, Three Down Nation and Canadian Press reporting on uh, the number of things that the CFL had proposed. And they all seemed like things that were starting points in a negotiation because they almost seemed nonsensical to some degree, like the the 10-year CBA and the the lack of a salary cap rising. It seemed like starting points. And the CFLPA is like, no, we're not about to do any of this or the full elimination of the ratio, reduction of Canadians on the roster. just seemed, it seems bad, but... You know, when the CFL has to come out last week and put out a statement saying, hey, whoa, 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 we like Canadians. We're not going to do anything with the ratio. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a bit of a PR dust up right now. Oh, yeah, well, exactly. It's like a burger joint saying, we love burgers, but we might reduce the number of burgers we sell, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's something like that. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. Is You know, I, I don't know why we're at this point. I don't know why it took this long to really, you know, get to the point of, you know, this stalemate and, you know, I, I do, do I really believe that they want the league wants to get rid of the ratio? I don't. Do I think that there should be modifications to the ratio? Yeah, I do. I think there's too many Canadians on the old line at times. And, you know, if you have, good, if you have quality starting Canadians, fine, but I think we need to rethink how we do things. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it is the, what, what has been suggested, you know, let's have at least three, where you have to dress three on offense, you have to dress three on defense. So that's six. Doesn't mean you have to stay at six. But, you know, maybe we do need to rethink how the ratio is deployed. But uh, do I think that the, the league wants to get rid of the ratio? I don't think so. I think, like you say, it's like first, it's first proposal type bargaining right now. But my gosh, we're like, we're days away here. Like, this is, this is not the time for, you know, strong arm tactics. And I think that is what is disappointing is, the optics the league puts out there, and I'm not saying the PA is absolved of this as well, or they're innocent of bad optics at times, but I think overwhelmingly it's the league that is showing bad optics here, and uh, the messaging is not good, um, and it just it just it just overall looks bad. Well, and the timing of it, right? We've we've seen in the past, not that long ago, where the eleventh hour deal comes through and everything's fine. Yeah. Um, the yeah. term of it, uh, obviously, it didn't last. Uh, it wasn't a long CBA because here we are again. But yeah. if I'm a fan of the CFL, I'm probably rolling my eyes a little bit today. And I am a fan of the CFL. I, you know, I'm a person that covers the league, too. But for someone outside of media who's looking at all this, they're probably rolling their eyes and just saying, OK, wake me up when we've got a deal here. Because training yeah. camp is, as you mentioned, reporting day is is less than a week away. Rookie camp starts on Wednesday. So. There is a, yeah. a natural deadline to pressure these sides into getting a deal done. So yeah. I, I guess it is time to just lock the lock the doors, throw away the key, and come out when the deal's done, right? Yeah, and the, and the sad thing, too, is, Christian, and, you know, to, to extend that point of yours, which is a good one, um, like, the league holds most of the leverage here. The, the players do not, you know, and they can threaten strike and all that, but, I, you know, it's so confusing, again, because because every province is different, but it's it's sad it has to be this way. I just I think it comes down to respect, and I think it comes down to you know you got to look at at your league's future here. You know, a, a promising young offensive lineman retired today with the Saskatchewan Roughriders, who was a first round pick two years ago in Madeline Riley, because you know it doesn't make sense. The weight doesn't make sense for him. He's got an opportunity to go make money somewhere else. You don't want to keep losing Canadian talent like that. Um, because you're not paying them enough. You know, we need to get the floor up, and I know the floor is at 65000 Um, The floor should be higher, you know, if they can. 
And, and that's the thing about a 10-year deal that you know, you're locking players into a 10-year deal. Now, do I think they realistically think that's going to happen? Probably not. But not to have any salary cap increases, you know. And I know the league is really sensitive of, of how how much it should go up every year. Right now, it's what five hundred thousand dollars each year. It's at five point three right now. You know, the players want more of the pie because they only have about twenty five percent of the pie, or maybe thirty percent of the pie. We're talking about revenue sharing, but it just you know, it, it's an uneven playing field. <laughs> you know, that's 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 the reality right now. Um, because the league holds so much leverage over the players right now, and uh, they're doing all they can to show the solidarity and, and, and to show that their words aren't hollow. But we always see at the eleventh hour, we know what happens. The deal gets done, and I, I expect that. And if we have a little bit of a spillover, like maybe we do miss one or two gate, uh, days of training camp, but I, I don't think we're going to see a, a, a massive work stoppage. Because you know, realistically, if if one province is, allows workers to go out you know, sooner than Alberta, for example, then you're going to have players complaining and, and, and teams complaining about an uneven playing field, right? Which in football, that's the most, it's the most sensitive sport when it comes to something like that. Um, so they'll get a deal done. I just, you know, here we are the third time really. And, you know, I think what disappoints me the most is two years ago, they did agree upon a CBA to play in a bubble for six games. They didn't do it, obviously because uh, of the lack of funding from the federal government. Uh, last year, they had a shortened COVID season. They got it done. Overall, you know, hey, everyone in Winnipeg's happy, obviously. But we, we got it done, right? So, and okay, so you came together. It was relatively smooth. Why isn't it now? And I know there's losses all over the place in the CFL. Players have seen losses. Organizations have, te- have seen losses. Uh, and I know they're trying to recoup it as, as, as best and as fast as possible. But, you know, it's just disappointing to see the the rhetoric and it's disappointing to see kind of the, the vitriol uh, of, of both sides, especially from the CFL side. Well, Dave, uh, before I let you go, got to ask you about the Oilers because you are in Edmonton, of yeah. course, and it is the playoffs. What's the mood today after a 4 nothing loss that followed two straight games where they scored 1,000 goals? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? I, I think it's it's a really calm kind of confidence that this fan base has. When you compare it to after the game one loss, it was panic. It was almost like very, very nervous, tense city for two days. I don't have that sense now. I think this is a team or this is a city that understands the opponent is, is not as bad as maybe we first thought they were. Um, and they're not the team that is going to get shelled 14 to 2 in two games uh we saw la at their best yesterday they get a lead and they can start playing that grinding heavy game that defensive type game and jonathan quick was very very good yesterday so i I sense a calm and you know when i listen to jay woodcroft the interim head coach by the way in my opinion should be the head coach going forward uh starting next season uh in a permanent role he always says you know, we worry about where we are today, kind of, you know, what's what's the best, the next step in our journey here. So we're not talking about what happened last night. We're learning what happened last night, but we're also preparing for game five because that's the most important game on the schedule now. Um, the Jay Woodcroft pattern and process has been after a lackluster game, they come out with a better game. And I expect this Oiler team to come out with a better focus and better attention to details 
because they brought really regular season intensity into a playoff game yesterday where the Kings, they pushed hard, and they pushed hard in game three. We can't forget that. They pushed hard, and they gave the Oilers a lot of fits and a lot of scoring chances. The problem was they were down to nothing, and they played into what the Oilers' style of game is. They got a lead yesterday. They got a one nothing lead, then a 2 nothing lead, and they were able to play their game, and it frustrated the Oilers. But uh, the Woodcroft effect has been stinker. Next game, it's a better game, and I expect the same thing tomorrow. Well, looking forward to seeing what happens because if it was panic after game one and calm confidence after game four, if they lose tomorrow night, I think we're back in the panic mode going back we to are. LA for game yeah. six. Definitely, Dave. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. And hopefully we've got a deal soon and we can talk more about training camp and the elk season coming up. We will just, you know, uh, just, just buckle up and it's going to be a little cringy at times, but we'll, we'll get there. It's just never comfortable getting there. But once we're there, it should be good. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you.